Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to New York. This is is the Devil's Devil's State of Mind Mind Podcast, podcast. brought to you by the the Hockey Hockey Podcast Podcast Network. Network. Now here's your host, host, Neil Villapiano! Woo! What's going on, Devils fans? My name is Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you, as always, for taking some time out of your day to take a listen to this. And we have a very special guest on today, and and I'm really excited to talk to this guy. He is the co-host of the Devils in the Details podcast, along with Ian Poles. He looks at the New Jersey Devils, their prospects, and the future of the franchise, and that's I definitely, uh, I, I'm sure our listeners and myself included are definitely interested in hearing about that. He also writes for the Devils in the Details. The Future Five is a recurring column that looks at five ideas, people, or events that impact the future of the Devils franchise. He's from the greater Toronto area in Ontario, Canada, and spends, in his words, way too much time watching junior hockey, which I love. And it is a pleasure to welcome on Mr. Duncan Field. Duncan, thank you for joining us today on the Devil's State of Mind podcast. First and foremost, how are you doing today? Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Um, I listened to last week's episode uh, just to get pumped up for this. And yeah, I'm excited to, to chat Devil's Hockey with you. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to have you on. And really, my first question right out of the gate is this. Um, and I'm sure our, our listeners are, are surprised as well that, you know, you're from the, you know, Ontario, Canada, and that's kind of like, you know, a lot of people would think like, oh, if you're a Devils fan, you know, you, you, you either live in New Jersey or you have some resemblance with the state and the team. But I kind of want to know, how did you become a Devils fan and how did you start, you know, writing things for the Devils? Yeah, no, that, that's a totally fair question. Um, and also fair considering how bad the team has been for the past eight years. <laughs> like, why would you root for this team if you weren't right, born right. here? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I... I didn't grow up watching hockey unless it was the Olympics. Uh, Like my family doesn't really enjoy sports, uh, but the Olympics, especially hockey in Canada is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I started to get into hockey in high school, uh, I I was a bit of a contrarian. I didn't want to be a Leafs fan like everyone else or a Senators fan, anything like that. So I just kind of, I I looked around and I tried to to figure out, do I actually recognize any players? Mm -hmm. And the player I knew the, the best was Marty Brodeur. So I was like, I guess I'll watch them. And partly just to kind of, you know, piss people off in high school. Right. But like you spend enough time watching the team and you just get hooked. And I was just like, yeah, like, let's do this. So I, I've been watching since maybe 2009, 2010. 
had that exciting run to the cup finals in 2012. And yeah. it's, I guess, mostly been miserable since then. But um, I, I've enjoyed every second of it. And a, a couple of years ago, uh, I was kind of lurking around on Reddit. Mm-hmm. And I saw these amazing posts by this guy talking about prospects. And right. I was like, hey, like, we should write about this stuff together. Right. Um, and that's how I met Ian, who, uh, who's my co-host at Devils in the D- Details. Mm-hmm. And one thing kind of led to the next and it got out of hand and all of a sudden there's a podcast. So uh, it just kind of happened. Well, that's great. And, and I love hearing stories like that because I'm always interested in it. And it, whether it's fans, it's writers, I'm always interested to hear about how people got to become a fan of the team and, and you know, why they write about them and things like that. So, so that's great. And, you know, one thing that I did read was an article, I believe you sent me that you wrote back on June 12th, the future five. And you were talking about some of the prospects that the Devils have. And, and I think that there's some that I think most Devils fans probably don't know about because whether, you know, whether they play in a smaller league or they just haven't been given an opportunity just yet to play. One, one guy that really stands out to me that I've been kind of excited about is uh, Cole Brady, which I think was the first guy you mentioned. And, you know, I, you know here's the thing with, with him is that he's one of those, he's one of those goalies that, he was drafted, you know, at a point where the Devils just, it seems like every year they draft at least two or three goaltenders. And you kind of wonder, you know, how many goaltenders does this organization really need? Before, <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's only two spots in the NHL. But I always look at it as like you can never have too many, you know, solid goaltenders because you never know when you're going to need a certain amount. And, you know, with this, with, with Cole Brady, he, he definitely has the makings of being somebody that in another maybe two or three years could really develop into something. I wanted to hear your personal, you know, take here on this podcast about someone like Cole Brady. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And you're, you're totally right. Every, I think every draft since Shiro was running the table, they've drafted at least one goalie. Right. Um, and I kind of see that as like the shotgun approach, because that's kind of how the draft works in general. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the total number of NHLers that come out of any one draft is bet- between like 40 and 60. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of people that actually make it. And I, I'd say the number of goalies that make it is, is far fewer than that average. So, you know, I've appreciated that they've spent, you know, mid to late round picks to take flyers on guys that they think might have something, but they're not investing, you know, a first round pick, a second round pick right. um, in some of these players just because you never really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cole Brady is, is a great example of taking a shot on a, a player that has, you know, good tools. He's also six foot five, which doesn't hurt. And he's, you know, his development path is going to take a couple of years. Um, he was playing in the USHL this year for the Fargo Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's committed to Arizona State in the NCAA for next season. So it's going to be a while before we see him. Uh, but he had a, a really solid season playing for a team that, that gave up a lot of shots against. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting to, to try to dig into some of those mid to late round prospects. Because as you said, you know, most fans might not know too much about them. Yeah, no, and, and I think another thing that I, I don't know if many Devils fans know this, but a guy like Jesper Brett was a sixth, seventh round pick. You know, he was mm-hmm. one of those guys taken late in the draft that you didn't hear much about, and that he came in to training camp a couple of years ago, and he just took off from there. And ever since then, he's been in the, you know, with the Devils. So, you know, you never know when somebody at the bottom tier of the draft could come in and just, you know, really have success. And But I, I would say that the majority of players that get taken in those later rounds are usually the guys that – you take a flyer on that you're hoping that maybe in a couple of years they develop into something really good. And I mean, let's be honest, we're, you know, the Devils are still trying to figure out 
who is going to be their long-term goaltending tandem. We obviously know that Mackenzie Blackwood is number is the franchise goalie. He's number one. We have to go with that. The question then comes up as it's been the last two, three years, is that who can be that solid backup for Mackenzie Blackwood? Is it Corey Schneider? Can he, you know, finally get past his injury woes and get back to being the Schneider that we know? Is it someone like Gil Jusen who's still in the minors and still is unproven? Or is a guy like we mentioned, Cole Brady, who, you know, maybe might need another couple of years before he's there that could eventually be that way. And he's, and Cole Brady is one of those goalies that's, that's showing that trend of goaltenders are now getting taller and taller. You know, it started with Ben Bishop, and now you're seeing it more often. And taking somebody, taking a goaltender that's 6'5 or higher to me, you know, excites me because it's like, hey, they're just going to be much bigger in the net. And they may not be the most athletic, but they can certainly make those point blank saves that you need. So that's something that, um, you know, really catches my mind. And that kind of, that kind of brings me to my next point with, with, again, focusing on the devil's goaltending, because I think that that's something that has really been up for discussion. There's one player in this upcoming draft that the devils with one of the first round picks that they have, whether it's their own first round pick or possibly Vancouver's or even, you know, a, a less likely chance, but possibly with Arizona, with the Arizona first-round pick the Devils got from, you know, in the Taylor Hall trade, that they might go after um, Askarov, the uh, talented mm-hmm. Russian goaltender uh, going into it, which people are considering not only is he the best goaltender in this draft, but he's possibly the best goaltending prospect we've seen since Ilya Sorokin a couple of years ago when the Islanders drafted him. In your opinion, do you see the Devils – possibly, you know, taking a chance with one of those first round picks of maybe drafting someone like Askarov? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Um, and I know a lot of people are talking about it. If you had asked me six months ago, my answer would be a lot more sh- sure, just because we've seen kind of Ray Shiro's particular mindset when it comes to the draft. Right. Now that he's gone, I, I'd say the answer is a little less certain. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're likely to do it. Um, and that's just because you know, let, let's assume Tom Fitzgerald, if he still has the job by the time the draft happens, uh, probably in the fall. Um, if we assume that he's kind of of the same mindset of someone like Ray Shiro, other than Mackenzie Blackwood, who was taken on the second round, and that was in Shiro's first draft, and he had only been on the job for a couple months, so I'm, I'm not sure how much of his fingerprints are on that. Right. He's always taken goalies in like the fifth round or later. Um, now, Askarov is a very special prospect, and he has incredible potential. But like we were talking about just a few moments ago, you know, goalies are probably the trickiest position to project, right? Yeah. We, we've seen goalies go really high in the draft and then not amount or not reach their potential. And sometimes they're still good goalies, but when you're using a top 10 pick on someone, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want a good player, right? You want right. someone who's going to make a really big impact. Right. Um, so I... The fact that they have three picks or have the potential to have three picks, maybe that makes it more likely because they're able to still get, you know, an impact forward, maybe in the top five or six. Mm -hmm. They could use the Arizona pick on, you know, potentially one of the second or third best defensemen on the draft. And then if the Vancouver pick comes around and Askarov is still on the board, like who knows, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure I see the value in, in taking Askarov in the top 10. And I don't necessarily think it's realistic to expect them to last until whenever that Vancouver pick might be, if it's 17 or higher. Um, basically, the only places I'd be comfortable taking him, I don't think he's going to last until that point, which means, I guess, I, I don't really see them taking him. 
No, that's a, that's a fair point. And I think with a lot of people that I've spoken with, and you know, I've spoken to a, a goalie coach who, who's, you know, well known with these type of things and, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, talking about them. It's the same type of thing that, you know, it, it's almost like some people compare taking a goalie that early, like taking a running back with like one of the first, you know, six, seven picks of the NFL draft. It's like, mm -hmm. you, you know, he has so, so much potential, but it might be too high of a risk right then and there to take somebody. And then you're, you're almost like forced to put him into the, you know, organization right away, you know, without any sort of uh, development. And I think with goalies, like you could say with, you know, pitchers in baseball, it just takes them a while to really, you know, you know, develop into the goaltender that you want them to be. So if they took Askarov, you know, in my feelings towards that, they took Askarov with one of the later picks, I don't think I'd be like as like concerned about it because I'd say, all right, we took like two forwards with our first two first round picks. And then with our third round pick, Askarov was taken with like, you know, the 21st pick. And we'd be like, all right, cool. Like, we'll take that. And then people would say, all right, we have another young goaltending prospect that maybe could help us get over that hump with having a solid goaltending tandem. Because I feel that yeah. nowadays with the way the NHL has, you know, continued to progress, it's no longer about having one stud goaltender and an okay backup. It's now having two solid goaltenders that you can rely on in different, you know, in different games. That it doesn't matter which goaltender you put in there, you feel confident about that. And I think I saw that trend really start with Tampa Bay a couple of years ago mm -hmm. when they had Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky. And then they had Vasilevsky and Louis Domingue. It was like, they're two solid goaltenders. Now, obviously, Louis Domingue did not have a great stint here in New Jersey, to say the least. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, that was that whole thing that you're starting to see more teams decide we're going to have two or three really good goaltenders instead of just, you know, one superstar goaltender and then a, you know, medium to below medium goaltender, you know, backup. So I think that, you know, if the Devils were to take Askarov with, you know, at the, you know, at the, at the earliest probably like, you know, if they had – if their third pick in the first round, which again is not guaranteed, they have three first round picks. But if they have, you know, and he's available at like 18, 19, 20, I would say, you know, he's probably the best player on the board and you might as well just take him at that point. So yeah. it's something that, you know, I think Devils fans are on the fence about. I think there's 50% that says yes. And there's 50% that says there's other people out there that I think would benefit us a little bit more considering what holes that we need to fix. So, yeah, and, and I think I think the point stands, and you, you just mentioned it, and I think you're completely right. The team needs talent at every position. I, I you know, especially with people like Jack Hughes already graduating to the NHL. Mm -hmm. Jesper Bokvist is kind of an in betweener. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of great forwards on the way. Right. You know, even though I think in most Devils fans' minds, you would think that the forward position is the most stopped in terms of the prospect covered mm -hmm. and I don't actually think that's the case so when it comes to that kind of top 10 um, gauntlet within the draft coming up yeah you know, no I taking mean, a forward is 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 more than a an okay choice yeah no I, I can see I can see why you would say that because I'll be fair that when I've seen the team call up some forwards over the last couple of years you know guys like Brett Sini, Michael mm -hmm. McLeod, Nathan Bastian no disrespect to them because they all have talent in their own ways. They're just not the players that seem to, you know, really wow you when we say we have talent. I, I think the most talented forward in the minors is, has to be probably just for Boquist. And this year was just kind of an up and down year for him because he finally got his chance in the NHL. I think there was a lot of pressure on him right from the get-go to all of a sudden be this star 
that everybody was saying that he was going to be. And with the, you know, the coaching change and, you know, the lineup being kind of, you know, up and down all season long, I think it was just hard for him to get used to playing. And, but once he went back down to the AHL, he started to once again really show that he has the capability of being a really talented forward in the NHL. And I think that if the Devils can spend a couple of their draft picks, because they have a, they have a pretty good amount. I think they have one of the higher amount of draft picks going into this year. I think if they can focus a lot on the forward position and also add some defense as well, I think a lot of Devils fans would, would consider that to be a really solid draft. So that's something to look at. Now, I made a, a, a poll on my Twitter at Devil's State of Mind, if you haven't checked it, at Devil's State, actually. If you haven't, uh, please go follow that. And I posted it two days ago, and it's going to be running out in the next couple of hours. But I, I said to Devil's fans, you know, without knowing what position or positions the team will be in this year's draft, what players do you want to see the team select? And I kind of mentioned the, the, uh, the guys that probably will go within the top 10, top 15. So I mentioned Lucas Ray, uh, Raymond, Alexander Holt, Quinton Byfield, and then I also asked if anybody had any other suggestions. And a lot of people see, say that they want Quentin Byfield because I'm going to be realistic. The Devils' chances of getting the first overall pick again is probably not that high. I don't think that they will. I think if you want to look at what is the most positive scenario, I think that they could f- jump into the top three. But that's, I, th- I don't think number one is something that we can sit there and say, I think we have a, you know, a really good shot. I mean, they have a 7% chance. But again, it's still something that we have to be realistic and say, do they honestly have that good of a chance? You know, it could go either way. So without looking at, you know, Alex Lafreniere, who is obviously going to be a very talented player once he gets into the league, there are some other guys because of how deep this draft is um, that could really help the Devils. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on if there's any player that I had mentioned or anybody else that really kind of stands out to you that you think would be good picks for the Devils to make. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And this is this is like my favorite stuff to talk about. In a weird way, I almost prefer talking about some of the, the big picture stuff, like the mm-hmm. draft and prospects and development, yeah. than the actual games themselves. That's fine. Um, but yeah, there are you know a number of prospects that I think would be really interesting for the Devils, you know, within that kind of top five, top six, where we assume their their first round pick is going to land. Yeah. Um, you know, one you mentioned, Lucas Raymond, uh, a Swedish winger, is just a, a really intriguing prospect. He has great playmaking ability. Um, he's got decent hands, and he's exactly the sort of guy that could run a power play in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Drysdale is an interesting choice, and I know fans are kind of back and forth on this again because of that whole positional thing. But he's the best defenseman in this draft. He plays for the Erie Otters and the OHL. Um, I've gotten to see him a couple times as he came through town. Uh, very smooth skating, uh, below six foot defenseman that has you know absolute control of his feet and the puck whenever he's on the ice. He's just an incredible skater. He makes great decisions. He's comfortable joining the rush. Um, he could be a top parent defenseman. Uh, he's he's one of the the defensemen in this draft that actually has the potential to reach that ceiling. Um, you know, so if, if he's still on the board by the time the Devils pick, assuming it's not, you know, second or third overall, I think you have to take a pretty long look at him. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just such an intriguing player, even if my own personal preference would probably be to take a forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one I'll mention is Marco Rossi, who plays for the Ottawa 67s. 
and the Devils this season had four different prospects playing on the Ottawa 67s. So we I, know. I, Devils have been asking that we need to change the name of that team to the Ottawa Devils. Because exactly. Yeah. It, it feels like that we just love that organization so much that we just, we might as well just have a draft one year where we just draft every single player from the Ottawa 67s and just say, you know what, that's our whole team right there. That's exactly. Our, that's another minor league team for us. <laughs> yeah, it's our farm team just beneath the, the Binghamton Devils. Right, exactly. Um, but he, he's, he's a really intriguing prospect. Yeah. Uh, he was the leading scorer in the OHL, uh, scored well over 100 points. Um, he is quite short, which is probably the only reason why he isn't considered a better prospect than he is. Mm-hmm. He scored 120, 120 points uh, in 56 games. Uh, and was actually one of the stronger two-way players in the entire Canadian Hockey League. So including the Western League, the Ontario League, and the Quebec League. Mm. Um, he, he does everything. Like he plays on the power play. He kills penalties. Um, he, he's a bit mean. He plays with a bit of sandpaper. Mm. But he's five foot nine. So people do have some concerns, especially because he plays center. Yeah. Like can someone that short play center in the NHL and be as effective as we've seen him be in mm-hmm. junior. So the, it, he's, he's a really interesting choice. We know the Devils have seen him a lot because he's on the 67s and they basically are the Devils already. So I'm curious to see exactly where Rossi would fall on their board. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I like what you're saying because what, what's, what's great about you, Duncan, is that you look at, like you mentioned, you, you are you much more excited about like the prospects and mm-hmm. the future of the team and things like that. And that's really good because I think for a lot of us, we don't always tend to spend the time thinking about it. A lot of us Devils fans focus on the right now. Like, what do we have to do to get better right now? Like, even like going into next season, like what, you know, and I mm-hmm. think that sometimes it's hard for, for, for fans to really look at and say in the next couple of years, we're going to be good, especially considering after the last five years with yeah. the assumption that we were in a rebuild, but realistically we weren't. And now we technically are in a rebuild. Like it was just, it's this question of like, okay, so when is that, when are we finally going to get over, you know, you know, missing the playoffs consecutive times and then eventually becoming a competitive and event. And also then after that, a Stanley cup contending team. And, and I like, you know, those, you know, the analysis that you have for players like that. And, you know, to be honest with you, and this is just my opinion, but I don't know how many people agree is that, I've never thought that a size of a hockey player really mattered that much when it came mm. to playing because it's it's more about, you know, what can they actually bring to the game on a consistent basis? To You know, a size to me, the only time I care about it is with a goalie. You know, if, if a goaltender is like 5'11", I get concerned, but not mm. terribly. But when we mentioned like Cole Brady, he's 6'5", I get really excited because I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. holy crap, he's so big. I need, like, we need somebody like that. Like, he's huge. And it's things like that. But, you know, I think that it's not about the size of the player. It's about what skill level does he have? What type of heart does he have? You know, how passionate is he, is he about the game of hockey and, and about, you know, trying to make himself better and his team better? And I think that that sometimes gets – in some people's minds overlooked they look at all the mesh they look at all the statistics about you know height weight things like that and luckily we don't have the combine this year so i am sure people won't be looking at that as much but mm. you know that that remains to be seen but one thing that you know i think you know actually got you and i to start you know talking back and forth was a post that you made a couple of days ago you actually posted on june 15th which is ironically my birthday and it really um 
it really intrigued me. And that's how you and I kind of got to start. You, uh, you ran a draft simulator. And oh, yes. I said that I would take this 100%. And I <laughs> loved it. Like, I looked at the players that you had drafted and what could happen. I said, if the Devils draft went exactly the way that you put it, they would probably be considered to have the best draft of any team in, in the NHL. Like, just looking at the talent that you have. One guy that I, I, you really, you know, emphasized that I, that I was really intrigued about was you said, I like O'Rourke at 40, but Wiseblatt and Robbins are likely the best value throughout. Why do you think those two guys, Wiseblatt and Robbins, are likely the best value throughout that, throughout that whole scenario? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, happy birthday. I think Thank that's you. awesome. Thank you. Um, I turned, I, I, it was my David Clarkson year, so I'm 23 now. Nice. Congrats. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that draft simulator that's put on by, oh gosh, I'm going to forget, draftprospects.com maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, draftprospectshockey.com. Um, yeah, so uh, you, you can run it. It's, it's a great time waster if you're bored. Uh, if you're curious about prospects, it's a great tool that kind of forces you to kind of look into people because once you get past the first round or two, you know, if, if you're not a huge draft nerd, you probably haven't heard of most of these people. So it's, it's yeah. a great it's a great tool for just kind of diving in. Yeah. Um, but the two players you mentioned, uh, Ozzy Weisblatt and Tristan Robbins are really interesting because they both seem to be fairly underrated. So, you know, there, there tends to be a lot of kind of narratives surrounding the draft, you know, people, um, you know, people's stock rises and falls throughout the season. Mm -hmm. Often there's lots of recency bias. Sometimes people put too much emphasis on how a player performs in one tournament over the course of like two weeks as compared to the performance throughout a season. Um, so there's lots of opportunities uh, to look at players that aren't being talked about as much and to actually, you know, get a lot of value out of them. Like you mentioned Jesper Bratt uh, a few moments ago, and that's a great example. That's a player that just kind of flew under the radar, but he had the tools and the production that, that makes you think this kid might be able to do something. Mm -hmm. And so these are, these are two players that I think um, kind of fit that mold. Uh, Ozzy Weisblatt is a really interesting player uh, from the Prince Albert Raiders in the Western Hockey League. Uh, he's 18 years old. He's a bit undersized. He's about 5'10". Mm -hmm. And he's ranked to go, you know, around the, the second round, I'd say, like early second rounds. For whatever reason, uh, in this draft simulator, I think I got him in like the fourth round. So, you know, not necessarily the most realistic thing. Um, but he, he's an example of, uh, you know, a somewhat undersized player um, that just really took off in his draft year. Yeah, he, he got 70 points in 64 games, scored 25 goals, and basically does everything fairly well. Um, Tristan Robbins, perhaps even more so than Weisblatt, is severely underrated. He, he plays for the Sask Saskatoon Blades. Uh, he plays center. Um, and he's just, like, he does everything. I, I'd say he's an even better player than Ozzy Weisblatt, just from my viewings and what I've been able to see. But for some reason, uh, you know, he's ranked anywhere from the second to the third or even fourth round. Yeah. And that's a player that, you know, could follow a pretty steady projection. Mm -hmm. You grow over the next two years as he returns to junior hockey and be a threat to make the lineup as like a middle six player in three years, which, you know, as you mentioned, uh, for a lot of fans, they're not necessarily thinking in that sort of timeline, mm -hmm. but from a, from a prospect perspective, you know, you need some of those players that um, outpace their draft slot 
and provide that kind of extra boost of value because you always need fresh new talent, not, not only because your players are getting old, but because of the salary cap, you need people to come in on their entry level contracts and perform you know, far above their pay grade because you need to squeeze as much value out of those players as you can before they make their big, their big money. So you know, those two are, are very interesting players uh, that I think are definitely being underrated. Well, I mean, look, if they're both available and the Devils are able to take them, I think that they just got like a huge amount of value. And I think one of the things the Devils have lacked over the last couple of years is mm-hmm. I think that they have lacked getting some more talented guys in the la- in the later rounds. I th- I've said this before that I think Ray Shiro was very good through the first, you know, first three rounds. I think when it came to getting guys that had, you know, tremendous upside and a lot of value when, it, you know, for the first three rounds, he would do well. And then the, the bottom half, it just always seemed like he was – he was getting guys that just seemed to either at, at pretty much not sign at all with the Devils. You know, they go three years and nothing happens or, you know, things like that. And, you know, that can be frustrating. But I think if, you know, if Tom Fitzgerald is the general manager and, I, you know, we'll definitely get into that in a couple of minutes because I want to get your take on that. But if he is the general manager, I would be interested to see how he does not in the early rounds, but what he's able to get and what value he can get in the later rounds. And I think that that's important. And if those guys are there, that would be, that would be great. Now, this is something that came up um, a couple weeks ago, actually June 1st. Uh, the Devils had failed to sign prospects uh, for Mitchell Hoysher, if I'm saying his name right, and I feel bad if I'm saying it wrong, but, and also defenseman Xavier Bernard. They both did not sign their entry-level deals with the Devils. They were both drafted in the late rounds, uh, in the later rounds of the 2018 draft. And they were, they are both now, um, I think they're available to be drafted again uh, in this year's draft. So um, I don't know enough about Bernard to know the type of value that he had. Um, but I, I hear, I heard a lot of people with, with Mitchell that, you know, this guy is very talented and he can become a very, very solid player. Um, so I was pretty disappointed to hear that the Devils did not do that. Um, do you feel that there is a possibility? And, this, and I don't know, you know, what their value is going into this year's draft, but do you feel that there is a possibility that the Devils could try to, you know, redraft one or both of these guys? Yeah, I, I don't think that's, that's terribly likely. Um, I'm not even sure, you know, with overagers in the draft, it's always kind of a crapshoot. You don't know exactly who's going to be drafted or not. Like, for example, the guy who just won CHL Defenseman of the Year, Noel Hoffenmeyer mm-hmm. wasn't signed by his team, the Arizona Coyotes. He went through a redraft and wasn't selected. And that year he won best defenseman in the Canadian Hockey League. So, he, you know, the whole process is, is kind of a bit funky. Right. What I will say is if they don't get drafted, um, I think there might be some interest in signing them, not to an NHL deal, but to signing them to the AHL team uh, in the minor league, just to get them as part of the system and to see how the relationship grows from there. So uh, it isn't necessarily the end of the road, but it's, it's not exactly clear why they didn't sign them. Uh, yeah. The doubles aren't really strapped for contract spaces because you can only have 50 contracts at any one time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Holscher put together a nice season. He was one of those four Ottawa 67s prospects, so he played on a really good team and played an important role. Um, I was a bit confused, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a possibility that we might see them again. Well, I, I think the Devils would have an advantage when it comes to evaluating those guys because they drafted them originally. And I think because mm-hmm. of a lot of 
a lot of the scouting staff that, you know, you know, took, you know, said that they wanted to get these guys would probably understand it. And, you know, I was talking to a bunch of Devils fans that all say that they're upset that, you know, maybe not Bernard to as much, but definitely with, with, with Mitchell, Mitchell Hoysher, I think people were, were really upset that we didn't sign him because he does yeah. have a very high upside that gets people very excited. Um, so, so, so there's that. Um, here's a guy, and, and I don't know if you remember this guy. I certainly do. But here's a guy that I think a lot of Devils fans would probably, you know, moan and groan a little bit. And it's actually, um, if you remember Reed Boucher, and if anybody remembers oh, yeah. Reed Boucher, yeah. you probably figure out, you know, you know, you probably get a little frustrated. But when Reed Boucher was originally drafted by the Devils, this was before he had his breakout season in the, in the WHL with the, I want to say it was the Sarnia Sting, if I'm correct. Yeah, Sarnia. Sarnia Sting, and he broke Steven Stamkos' uh, record for most goals in a season. I think he had 54 or something ridiculous like that. So mm-hmm. immediately he was projected as the best prospect on the Devils. Mm-hmm. And we were all waiting for him to finally get up to the big leagues. And he eventually did, but he never seemed to really take off the way that we were hoping. And now it, he was with Vancouver this past year and in their minor league system, and it was announced yesterday that he signed a one-year contract with Avangard Omsk, which I believe is in the KHL. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to be going overseas. A question for you, Duncan, because I, I feel that you, you would be able to answer this very well, is that what do you feel went wrong with why Reed Boucher was never able to fully reach his potential when he was with New Jersey? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, if people are unfamiliar with junior hockey, especially in Canada, the game is different yeah. than the game we see in the NHL. Yeah. Um, you know, players are only in the league for a short time and the best players, you know, get drafted. They might be in the league for one extra year and then they're called up to the NHL or, or what have you. Um, Boucher was a, an amazing goal scorer in junior hockey, but the specifics of like how he played didn't necessarily translate to the NHL. So it's, it's entirely possible to score 50 goals in junior hockey without having the necessary speed, strength, or even like hockey IQ, if you mm-hmm. want to use that term, that would project you into the NHL because, right. you know, there are lots more mistakes in junior hockey. And if you're the type of player that has the hands to take advantage of those, then you can, you can really eat people alive in right. junior hockey. Like there are so many mistakes made, which is why it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suspect that Boucher is is one of those guys that had amazing hands, but didn't necessarily know what to do with them when the game like got faster and bigger. Because the difference in size and speed from the CHL to even like the American Hockey League and the minors is is a big jump, and that's why we see a lot of prospects um, take a step back when they make that jump from junior hockey to even the AHL. Everyone's just bigger, and like when when the biggest guy you've played against in your career so far is 20 years old and then you you start you come up against 25 year olds or 30 year olds that have been in the league for like eight years it it takes a lot of adjusting and not everyone can do it uh so i I think boucher was one of those guys that had amazing hands um could definitely take advantage of the way the chl works and, and good for him uh but didn't quite have the right combination of things to make it work at the professional level yeah, you know, it was disappointing because, you know, when, when I was younger, there wasn't that many players, like young players, that I could really latch on to and say, okay, this guy's going to be around for a while. When Reed Boucher was dominating in juniors the way he was, mm-hmm. a lot of us were saying, okay, he's that next star that we've been waiting for. And people tend to forget this. 
He got on the team around the time when the Devils were setting records for not even scoring in a, a shootout. Not only yeah. the <laughs> they weren't even scoring in the shootout. I think they went something like, if my memory is correct, something like 20 plus consecutive shootout losses. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. Like they were, they were the laughing stock of the league when it came to shootouts. Like, like if you got to a shootout, you, the Devils were just not going to win. And that was just the reality of it. But like, he scored in a shootout, and then he also, I think he got his first NHL goal very quickly after that. So for a, for a little while, it looked like, okay, this is the guy. And then it just never materialized. And I think it was very disappointing that um, with a guy who had that much talent in juniors, uh, didn't flare out. But I, there's a lot of players that I've known that have never been, that, that have gone through the same situation with him where it never panned out. So it was disappointing. I'm hoping that he continues to play because I think he's still, he's still pretty young and he still has a lot of talent. So maybe a year in the KHL might help him, you know, elevate his game because the ice is wider. The yeah. competition is a lot tougher. And I've always said this because people have always wondered, well, how come someone like, you know, Austin Matthews has succeeded so well the minute he got in the NHL? And it's like, well, first of all, he was a, you could call a once in a generational talent. Mm -hmm. And also he had played in a professional league before he came to the before he came to Toronto like he had he didn't play in you know the U, United States program that much he played overseas in a professional league against guys that were much older than he was mm -hmm. so he had the opportunity to learn how to play against grown men and that's what I think gave him an advantage over you know other guys and why I think you know people were saying Capo Caco was maybe a little bit closer to being an NHL player than Jack Hughes because Capo was playing against you know, men, while Hughes was pretty much playing against people his own age. But, you know, it all depends on development and it all depends on, you know, how they go. Um, the next kind of thing with involving prospects, and once again, Duncan, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking with us. It's, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm sure our listeners are very, uh, very happy to, um, to hear what you have to say because, you know, you, you, you do know a lot about the prospects that I think is getting a lot of us excited. So, again, thank you for coming on. But Pleasure. Yeah, of course. So the, the guys that I wanted to talk to you about, and the Devils announced this on their Twitter two days ago, they announced that Graham Clark was invited to Team Canada's summer development camp, which is ahead of the ju World Juniors. And then the, they also had two prospects in Patrick Moynihan, who is best friends with Jack Hughes, by the way. And funny story, the Devils mm -hmm. drafted Moynihan because Jack Hughes told them to. I don't know if anybody knew that. But Jack, oh, that's right. That's but right. Jack Hughes was in it. I think Shiro or I think it might have been Fitzgerald said, you know, what do you think about Patrick Moynihan? He said, he, he's a stud. You need to draft him immediately. And he drafted. And it was just funny because I was like, wow, I never saw a player have that much power to draft somebody. But Patrick Moynihan and Case McCarthy were named to the United States World Junior roster. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, the guy that stands out to me in the Devils prospect pool right now is definitely Graham Clark because he just – his upside is, to me, it's ridiculous. I think he can definitely become a, a star player with the Devils if he's developed correctly. And, again, he's on Ottawa, so I have, you know, they have automatically become my favorite junior team. You know, I watch, I've actually watched a bunch of Ottawa 67 games, um, you know, I, whenever I can find a decent stream that's not corrupted. Yeah, but hard to do, hard to do. Is, being in the United States, it is really hard to find a good stream. Like, I've mm -hmm. had uh, – I've had to ask people, you know, in Canada, like, does anybody have a good stream that I can watch without getting in trouble? And like, it's, it's tough, but you know, those, you know, those three guys, obviously they're going to get more experience playing in the world juniors. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about those three prospects and, and what you see, you know, their, their potential that, that they have? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. And the Ottawa 67s are a great choice. If, if you want to root for any team, um, not only are they, um, you know, extremely well run, and we've actually had the chance on the Devils in the Details podcast to interview their general manager a couple times. Wow. Uh, they, have, they just have so many interesting players. Yeah. Um, but Graham Clark is, is really intriguing. And I think if that's the, the player, you know, Devils fans are focused on that's coming up, you know, forward-wise, that's yeah. not a bad choice at all. Um, when we looked at him last summer to try to project, okay, what, what, what kind of year is he going to have? Because we all knew he had a goal scorer's touch. He scored 23 goals in his draft year. He was a, he was a legitimate threat to score 50 goals this season, which is, you know, an amazing accomplishment. He, yeah. he has that kind of skill yeah. and Ottawa is that good. Um, it didn't quite work out that way because, you know, he, he did have an extremely hot start to the season and then he injured his shoulder. And he was out for most of the year. I think he came back um, late February, mm-hmm. early March, which was kind of slightly ahead of schedule. Um, and in the meantime, uh, one player stepped up and played the role that we thought Graham Clark was going to play. And his name's Jack Quinn. And mm-hmm. he scored 50 goals this season. And that's the reason why he's probably going to be picked in the top 20 of the draft this summer. So it's just funny kind of how that works. And I did hear that the Devils a lot of people are saying they're projected to be one of the teams that may take him. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's definitely possible. Again, they're definitely watching the Ottawa 67. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I remember but. when the devils were in Ottawa, take playing the senators in it. And I think that was one of, I think that was the game Jack Hughes wanted in overtime. Um, they, uh, Erica Walker was interviewing like the Ottawa 67. And I think they had like six prospects that were all from the devils. And I was laughing cause I'm like, I've never seen one team have that many guys from a yeah. single NHL team. I was like, that's ridiculous. And it's like, yeah. it was awesome to see that. But, um, but anyway, continue. Yeah, no, that, that's hilarious. I had completely forgotten about that. But yeah. it's always funny when you see them kind of clump together like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Grant Clark is, has the potential to be a really solid kind of middle six, maybe top six score at the NHL level if things go well. Right. You know, there, there's always that question mark in terms of development, yeah. but he has speed. He has, um, you know, very good hands. He has such a good scoring instinct. And one thing that Devils haven't had in a long time is someone who just, just thinks about shooting the puck, right? Like you think oh, about a lot oh. of our prospects and players, yeah. people always pass the puck yeah. when they can shoot, right? That's always been Thank a problem. You. Thank yeah. you so much for saying that because yeah. I've said it for several years. We need a guy that has a nose for the goal that is not going to pass it when he should shoot it and just flat out shoot it. Yeah, so that, that's Clark. And I think um, Nolan Foote, who was acquired in the, the Blake Coleman trade, it kind of has a similar mindset, but to a lesser degree. So mm-hmm. it, Clark is that prospect that yeah. is basically, I, I don't want to say pure offense, but he definitely skews that way. And he, yeah. he loves to shoot the puck. So that, he's a really interesting uh, prospect to keep, keep an eye on. Yeah, no, like, you know, I think, you know, and, and again, I don't want to rush things because I don't want to go down a Reed Boucher type of situation sure, again sure. where I fall in love with one particular prospect and then, you know, it doesn't pan out the way that I hope. Because again, it's not always about just the player's skill level. It's also about how does the team develop them, you know, within their system. And again, there's a lot of question marks around the organization right now with, we don't know who the GM is. We think we may know who might be the next head coach but again that's still undetermined but you know if the devils can develop him right 
that, I mean, Graham Clark is a guy that could really, really help the Devils in the next two years that Devils fans should really get excited about. So that, that was something interesting there. Now, another guy that kind of, you know, stands out to me was Case McCarthy. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he is at, what, Providence, correct? Uh, he's, he's at Boston, actually, Boston, Boston University. I know that the Devils, just like with the Ottawa 67s, the Devils have an infatuation with guys from either Boston University, Providence, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. Penn State as well. Yeah, Those that's correct. That I know, and Boston College, that was another one, because I remember uh, Miles Wood and Santini being... Oh, that's right, yeah. Boston. I actually, funny story, I actually went to their NHL debut, which was Patrick Elias' last game of his career. And Miles Wood got a, I think Miles Wood got two assists and I think Santini got a goal. So it was like like one of the most incredible debuts for two players in a single game, which I thought was awesome. But here, you know, Case McCarthy is an interesting prospect for the reason of this. I don't think people in the United States watch college hockey as much as I think they should. Because they're, you know, people, when they think of talent, they look at the juniors, you know, up in Canada, you know, OHL, WHL, you know, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I don't think people watch enough college hockey to really appreciate the fact that there is a lot of really good players that have come through the college ranks. I mean, Travis Zajac went to North, North Dakota State, and he was very good. Um, you know, Zach, Zach Parisi played uh, college hockey. Joe Pavelski with the Dallas Stars was very good at Wisconsin. You know, there's guys like that. Can you talk to me a little bit about what makes Case McCarthy, in your opinion, a very interesting prospect coming out of college? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And ironically, I actually, like earlier today, interviewed uh, someone that works with him at Boston University about Case McCarthy. So this is really top of mind. Um, And I I don't want to give away uh, too much, but I can can definitely speak to him because you're right. He's an interesting prospect. And he was one of a bunch of players that the Devils drafted out of the U.S. National Development Team. Uh, along with Jack Hughes last summer, that was that was basically like the Ottawa 67s. I think they got like four guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he's a really interesting player. Uh, he, he was a freshman at Boston this this year, uh, played 32 games and had 12 points, which is a really successful freshman season because yeah. especially on defense, college yeah. hockey is tough. You know, like, like we talked about with, with the difference between junior and professional, yeah. uh, college hockey is, is somewhat of a similar jump where, you know, the players are a lot bigger, they're heavier, they have a lot more time to train, and, you know, they might be, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. And so you're coming in as a teenager, like he did, and you're going up against these guys that are playing a much more uh, strength-based, faster game. Um, But he he definitely held his own, and he's one of those players that we've seen the Devils draft a lot of lately that doesn't fit one particular mold. So uh, Case McCarthy... Um, you know, he skates well. He has an amazing shot from the point. Uh, he's pretty good at keeping, you know, gap control to prevent people from entering the zone with too much control. He can, he can do basically anything, like, very well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a case of someone who, can, who could develop into a few different types of players. You know, mm-hmm. he could be that smooth skating, a two-way defenseman that you see, uh, you know, someone maybe like Damon Severson, but he could also be a really effective shutdown defenseman as well. Okay. Uh, and it all just depends, like you mentioned earlier, on how he's developed, uh, how he's used by his coaches, both at Boston and New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's a really important f- 
a thing to have in a prospect because, you know, sometimes you see guys like, you know, Ryan Merkley, for example, who was drafted, I think, two seasons ago. Yep. He was an undersized defenseman who was all about offense. Uh, yeah. He was not known for his defense by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and he's a player that if he doesn't succeed at offense when he makes the NHL, he doesn't actually provide any other value. Uh, Case McCarthy is the sort of player that could provide offense at the NHL level, but yep. even if he doesn't, he has all these other things he does well. Um, so that that's why I think he's a really strong prospect. He's going to take a couple of years to get to the professional level, uh, which is totally fine, but he definitely has a lot of uh, different tools he can use. You know, the, the first thing I would say is that, look, you know, I think with the way, you know, people in the United States look at, you know, college sports, if they don't see eye-popping, you know, stats, and maybe they don't understand the whole impact of certain players, they're not as, like, amazed by them. So I think even watching college hockey, when you see, even though, you know, it was a very good season for McCarthy, some people might say, well, that's not that many points. And why are you considering, it's like, well, you have to look at the whole body of work and you have to look at the way the season is. I mean, they, they don't, they play a third of an NHL season, the amount of games that they play. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's a smaller, you know, amount of, of things you can look at. But if you look at it from just, you know, how many games and how many points you're able to get in those many games, you'd say, yeah, that's pretty good. So, you know, here's the thing. The devil's defense right now, to say the least, in my opinion, is in shambles. Like, that's what I look <laughs> at it. No, and I'm trying to be fair, mm -hmm. but like, you know, some of the guys on this team are either a little bit on the other side of being old or they're just, you know, this is the highest potential that we're going to get from them. And there's some guys, and let's, let's be honest, the number one prospect on this team is Ty Smith. There is no question. Agreed. There is no denying the fact that Ty Smith is the top prospect. And it's crazy because it was the year we drafted him the year after we made the playoffs. And nobody knew who Ty Smith was when we drafted him. Nobody realized how good he was going to be in juniors. Now, he no longer is eligible for juniors. It's either the big club or, you know, the minor, the minor leagues. And we have to remember, mm -hmm. his first year, he goes to training camp, and he was the last player cut. He lasted the entire preseason training camp, whatever you want to call it. He traveled with the team over to Europe as well before they let him go. To me, that showed right away, okay, there is something different about him. He has a skill set that is really impressive. And what I find to be most interesting is this. It seems like he can play on either side of the defensive parent. He can play on the left yep. side. He has played some time on the right side as well from what I've been told. My question to you, Duncan, is simply this. Is this the year that Ty Smith makes the jump, that going into this next season, obviously? Is this the year that Ty Smith makes the jump to the NHL, or is this where we may have to give him another year, you know, a full year in the AHL before it's really time for him to get going? Yeah, no, great question again. I, I think it is the year we see him. Uh, I know fans were disappointed by his training camp this season, you know, especially like you mentioned, he almost made the team at a camp in his draft plus one year, which is basically unheard of, not only as a defenseman, but outside of the top 10 of the draft, you just right. you very rarely see that, especially for someone undersized as he was. Mm -hmm. um, but he had an incredible year. Um, he won the best defenseman in the Western Hockey League, which means he was nominated for best defenseman in the entire CHL. And he actually won CHL defenseman of the year last season in his draft plus one year. 
-hmm. And if, if he won this year, he would, he would have been the first player ever to repeat as CHL defenseman of the year. Like he, he, his performance in junior hockey is like very, very good just for context. Um, he didn't win. It went to Noel Hoffenmeyer, who we talked about earlier from that Ottawa 67s. I kind of think Ty Smith was robbed, but that's, a, that's a whole separate conversation. Those damn Ottawa 67s just right? everything yeah. from everyone else. Absolutely. But like, you know, he's done everything he needs to. He went to the world juniors and helped Canada win gold. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been the captain for Spokane for like two seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I, I looked into some of his stats earlier this summer and uh, his impact on the game is just phenomenal. So uh, when Smith was on the ice, the Spokane Chiefs scored 72 and a half percent of the even strength goals scored. So that like normally when we look at NHL players, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that sort of statistic being around 55 or 60% would be seen as really good because you're contributing more than you're letting the other team contribute. Right. And Ty Smith did that to like such a huge, <laughs> such a huge degree right. that it's, you know, it's hard to imagine him having a bigger impact, especially at even strengths. And as you mentioned, he can play both sides of the ice. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just nothing else for him to do. Uh, and one thing that came out over the course of the summer was that he actually had a, an injury over the course of last summer, which impacted his training mm -hmm. and therefore impacted his training camp and, mm -hmm. and trying to make the team. So I think, I think there was more going on last, uh, last season. That kind of explains why he didn't perform as well and why he didn't make the team. I'd be surprised if he didn't get uh, the, kind of the nine-game tryout that we sometimes see with prospects where, you know, you let them hang around for a bit and after nine games, all sorts of contract stuff is triggered. So usually you see people make a decision at that point. I'd be surprised if he didn't at least get that. Yeah, I, I would say that the expectations from Devils fans for him are through the roof, considering, like, like you mentioned, the, what he was able to accomplish in his first training camp with the team two years ago threw everybody for a loop because nobody thought, nobody, nobody at that time knew who Ty Smith was really. And mm -hmm. then he just kind of jumped out and was just arguably the best prospect there. And then yep. last year, everybody was saying that this is the year that he's coming, and then it didn't quite work out that way. And it'll be interesting because, again, whether or not Elaine Nazardine comes back, the coaching staff is probably going to be different. He will be coming into a different type of system mm -hmm. and things like that, and it'll be interesting. My, my other question for you about Ty Smith is simply this, because I've heard this before from some other people within the NHL that they say that part of the reason, a big part of the reason that Ty Smith has had the success that he's had is because he has just been in, the ju in junior hockey too long, that he should already be playing in the AHL. Do you agree with that? Or do you feel that it's more because of just how talented he really is? Yeah, no, that, that's a fair question. And, you know, you do see, you do see players where, you know, they, they've outgrown junior hockey, and I'm using kind of air quotes here. They've outgrown it. And because of the, the agreement between the CHL and the NHL, they're mm -hmm. not allowed to make that jump. They have to make the NHL roster or they have to be sent back to junior. And right. they, they're not eligible for that, that kind of middle tier where you think, you know, maybe that would be the best for the, their development. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's fair to say that Ty Smith's performance is due to being, you know, in the CHL too long. Um, you know, I, I definitely do think if he had had the option to play in the AHL this season, uh, that might have been preferable, mm -hmm. if only because, 
you know, what he did in his draft plus one season, which was last season, um, basically proved that he could do everything, right? He yeah. won best defenseman in the Western League. He won best defenseman in all three of the Canadian Hockey Leagues. Right. Right. Um, you know, like, what else do you want him to do, right? Like, he scored points. He defended well. He played on the penalty kill. Uh, he was the captain, you know, as, like, a, an 18-year-old. Like, there's not much more for him to do at that level. I do think going back this season – I did allow him to continue to grow, though. I don't think he stagnated. Um, even though his point total didn't grow, uh, he was doing so much more. He was logging so many more minutes. Um, and when I actually had the chance to speak to his general manager in Spokane, you know, he, he talked so much about how dedicated you know, Ty was to improving those other parts of his game. And some interesting things about Smith, you know, every year at the draft, teams will ask ask players you know if you could bring one player with you to the team from your current junior team who would it be just to see like who who, who's well liked by other players um ty smith was the person named the most in his draft year he's just that kind of player he he brings people together Mm -hmm. he's like very studious he's smart he's invested Mm -hmm. so like you know he's continued to do that he's actually been a mentor to younger players i think there's a lot of value there yeah, no, I mean, there, it's, it's one of those things. I, I wouldn't, here's the thing. People, I've always liked to use the term, you know, can't miss prospect and all that stuff. I never thought that Ty Smith was a can't miss prospect. When he was drafted and I was listening to people give their evaluation at that time about Ty Smith, he was one of those guys where we said, okay, great. He's a guy that, you know, can help us in our defense and everything. I think because of what he did two years ago and that, you know, obviously even this year he had some pretty, pretty solid games. I just think that the expectation has, you know, and the potential has risen dramatically for him because it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we have our franchise defenseman. And I'm like, if this is what he is, if this is his potential now, and this is what he's going to be able to provide, I think that it's best for the organization to try to develop him as well as possible because you want to make sure that he's as polished as he can possibly be when it's time to come up to the big club, whether it's starting the year in New Jersey or starting AHL. I think for a lot of Devils fans, if, if Ty Smith were, were to come out of camp and not be on the roster, I feel like people would start to have their same feeling that they've had for Michael McLeod, where maybe he's not as good as we think he is. But again, I think that it's a little bit different because you're a defenseman and that you're asked to do so many different things at once. Um, it's just something. And, and yeah, I think like you mentioned, what's really good is that it's almost like he developed his game to another level this year. Not, you know, like you said, the points, you know, weren't really there all the time, but definitely when it came to, you know, penalty kill and developing as a player and as a professional, I think he's grown in many different ways. So it'll be interesting and very exciting when training camp comes, whenever that might be. Um, you know, to see him perform and to see what, you know, where he is uh, skill level wise. My, um, my next question to you is this, and we just have like one or two more. So again, yeah. thank you for spending some time. I wanted to get your opinion uh, on that, uh, on these two positions, because this is something that Devils fans are trying to figure out. And we've been really scratching our head. I feel like the past 48 hours is that we have no idea really how committed the devil's ownership is to this organization because we heard that Joshua Harris is interested in buying the New York Mets, which, you know, for me, I would say, why do you want to buy the Mets? That's a really bad investment in my opinion. But <laughs> that's my opinion. 
Then right. he also bought a 5% stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers just this past mm -hmm. week. And now we're hearing things where guys are getting interviewed for positions, particularly general manager and head coach, by different people. My, I, it, this is a multiple question type of question here for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The first part of it is simply this. Do you feel that there is a certain kind of um, head scratching going on right now? Do you feel that, that, that's, that there's no good direction with the organization, with the ownership? And then the next part of that is this. Who do you see as being that general manager slash head coaching tandem going into next season? Yeah, no, I, I think those are all completely fair observations. And, you know, I, I've been following along with the same news as you, where you go, you know, you're, you're hearing about, you know, for example, what happened in Buffalo, where basically everyone was fired and there's going to be cost cutting and efficiency. Right. You know, it, it's, it's tough to hear. But after that happens, um, Elliot Friedman, who works for Sportsnet in Canada, who's yep. a great hockey writer, um, mentioned in one of his columns that like, oh, I wonder if the Devils might follow the same thing. Not in terms of firing everyone, I don't mean to suggest that, but mm -hmm. in terms of making things a bit leaner, um, which to me starts to set alarm bells off, right? Especially, like you said, if, if they're looking into buying the Mets, they're buying a stake in an NFL team. We already know they own the 76ers and a Premier, like a premier League team mm -hmm. uh, overseas. It's like, how do those two things, like, how do you, <laughs> how do you hold both of those things to be right. true at the same time, how, right? How do you have that many people, like, do you have enough people that are going to spend, you know, all of their time focusing on one thing? Right. And so I, I think, I think there's definitely a valid concern about like, yeah. hey, are they actually committed to spending money on this hockey team? Especially, you know, given the, the difference in exposure hockey has in the States compared to things like the NFL right. and the NBA. But I, there are a couple of things I'll say to this, um, and I'm, I'm kind of up and down on devil's ownership, but I think there are a couple of things uh, that I should say to be fair. Uh, the first is they were the only team last summer that was willing to pay full price for P.K. Subban in terms of the cap pit. They paid him $9 million, and they were the only team that was willing to do so, which, which I see as like a really, um, that's a vote of confidence. And it, you know, it hasn't necessarily worked out to the degree that we wanted, but it definitely is something. Yeah. The second part is they're paying right now $8 million for three players not to play for them. So, you know, over the course of the season, they retained salary on Taylor Hall for $3 million, Sammy Vatnin for two and a half, and Wayne Simmons for two and a half. <laughs> that's, that's like, that's a lot of money to spend for someone not to play for your team. Right. To play against you, basically. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do think when push comes to shove, they've put their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I understand the confusion, especially, you know, as they're looking to, to purchase other teams. Um, and, and as you mentioned, the, the point specifically about different people interviewing different candidates, to me, makes me a bit concerned. Mm -hmm. um, just because, like you said, you want to you want to know that there's a direction. And yeah. I'm admittedly a big fan of Ray Shiro. I know not everyone was, but one thing you can definitely say about him is that we knew that there was, you know, a mold or a prototype that he was trying to build towards. Mm -hmm. And it was relatively explicit. We all kind of knew what he was looking for. You know, they wanted people that could skate. They wanted people that were defensively responsible. Right. Um, you know, they were building a certain kind of team. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily know if there is 
you know, a goal that they're pushing towards other than just winning. Like we don't necessarily know what that is right now. And that's concerning. Um, but at the same time, when Ray Shiro was fired, one of the biggest messages that we heard coming out of the ownership group and out of the media was that they wanted the process of building a hockey team to be more collaborative. So I don't know if Ray Shiro was too, you know, holding his cards too close to his chest. Yeah. He wasn't seeking feedback from as many people as ownership wanted. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, and then you hear the stories of different people interviewing different candidates, I think, I think there's a way to think about that where it actually makes a lot of sense, where they're getting different opinions from different people, um, not only, you know, candidates, because yeah. to be honest, one of the biggest um, positives of interviewing someone to join your team is you get their opinion on what you currently have, like your, the players you have, the contracts, you're getting all these different opinions from people that are trying to work for you. Yeah. And that tells you something. Um, but at the same time, you're also getting different parts of the ownership group, um, different parts of the organization to get their own perspectives on who these candidates are. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there is a way to think about that that is less concerning than maybe the anxiety that kind of builds in my gut when I read those stories. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if I totally buy that, yeah. but I think it's a possibility. You know, I, I never really thought, you know, what you said, I never really thought about from the fact of maybe they're looking to have multiple voices, you know, collaborate together in order to build a winning mm-hmm. hockey team. And I think, I think what you said kind of brings up the reason as to why I think, you know, Tom Fitzgerald hasn't officially been named gen- general manager, which I feel like at this point, other than what you're hearing about, maybe they interviewed Eddie Olchek, which right, yeah. kind of threw me, it threw me for a loop when I heard that. I was like, <laughs> hey, where'd that come from? Because I was thinking to myself, like, does he have any experience? Like, I wasn't criticizing him. I was trying to actually get information about it. But, right. you know, it's just, it's one of those things. You know, here, I'm, I'm on the side with you where, I never, I never disliked Ray Shiro being hired. Like when he was officially hired, I was like, all right, cool. He had, he had, he didn't build the whole Pittsburgh championship team, but he made moves that eventually got them to that point. Agreed. But, yeah. And early on, we were all joking that he was hiring everybody that was from Pittsburgh. You know, we mm-hmm. were, we were hire, you know, we hired John Hines, who was a Pittsburgh coach. We had brought in guys like Bo Bennett and Ben Lovejoy, who were former Penguins. Like it just, it felt like that for a while. But you started to see him make moves that were, you know, building his own team. And I think that he found pressure, he got pressured this past offseason um, from ownership about the team had only made the playoffs once in his tenure. And that, it was, you know, Taylor Hall's contract was coming up and we needed to figure out, we needed to start winning. So I think he made the moves like acquiring P.K. Subban, going out and trading for Nikita Gusev. You know, even bringing in a guy like Wayne Simmons, I think they were all in one way or another pressured moves that maybe Ray Shiro didn't necessarily want to make because of certain reasons. And I think that it all kind of came together by the time he was let go, which I got to tell you, it was right before, I think they were playing against Montreal that day or they were playing somebody. And my friend was going to the game and he called me and and I was like, all right, this is weird. And he called me, he's like, they fired him. And I'm like, who, like, fired who? Like, I was, I thought he was talking about the Jets because he's a Jets fan. I was like, what, they <laughs> fire Adam Gase already? Is he already gone? Like, I was, he's like, Ray Shiro got fired. And I'm like, he, it's like, they did what? And I looked it up and I was like, where did that come from? Because yeah. this was several months after John Hines had been fired. Because I, I thought that if they were going to fire him, they were going to fire him then. Like, mm-hmm. just like, same thing. But no, and then I saw the press conference 
with Joshua Harris and then Fitzgerald and then Marty was standing in the background, which I kind of saw. Um, and just listening and he was like, and it, you know, Mr. Harris was like, we're just not winning. And mm -hmm. we expected a lot more from this team this year and what, you know, over the last couple of years and we're not there and we need to get to that point. And I think you have to give Tom Fitzgerald a lot of credit because I've said it before. He has been brutally honest with where this team is. They straight up asked him, where do you see this team? He goes, we're not a Stanley Cup contender and we won't be for another couple of years. And I'm like, thank you. Somebody was just said out loud where we are because that was one thing I was critical of Shiro. He never really told us where the team was in his opinion. Like he never said, oh, we're here or we're this close or, you know, whatever. It was just kind of like, that was my only critical thing of Ray Shiro other than obviously hiring John Hines in the first place. But <laughs> That's a rant for another day. Sure, sure. But again, with Tom Fitzgerald, he's been brutally honest. He made moves that I think people look at now and say, you know, for the value that they got, it was pretty damn good. Like, mm -hmm. and then I loved it when somebody asked him, why did you not trade Kyle Palmieri? And he goes, why would I want to trade a 30 goal score? That doesn't happen very often that you get a 30 goal score. And I was like, that makes sense to me. Like, it just, you know, Kyle Palmieri has had two 30-goal seasons since he's come to New Jersey. And this is a guy that was on a fourth line in Anaheim when he came to New Jersey. So it wasn't like this guy was a proven 30-goal scorer. It was a guy that developed and became a 30-goal scorer on this team. So I think that Fitzgerald is most likely eventually going to be announced as the general manager. Um, and then I heard just 24 hours ago that people were saying from, and apparently everybody was getting their information from pucks and pitchforks. This is what I was, I was told by everybody saying that apparently Peter Laviolette was going to be announced as the head coach within the next week or something like that. Oh, wow. Obviously I don't believe anything because I don't have any verification on any of this because again, we don't even know who the GM is, let alone yeah. who the head coach is going to be. So, again, that brings up the other question I wanted to ask you is that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who do you think, honestly, is going to end up being the GM and the head coach? Yeah, no, that's, that's all totally fair. Um, and I hadn't heard that rumor about Laviolette. Oh, it was, um, it, trust me, if you go, if you just type in like hashtag NJ Devils, you know, on Twitter and just yeah. look through, you will see like a million things that were just like Peter Laviolette question mark. And I'm like, don't tweet that. <laughs> any sort of background because it freaks out people yeah seriously um yeah in terms of, of the gm I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where i i think it's going to be tom fitzgerald i'm not aware of too many candidates that they've interviewed right you know the eddie olchek thing definitely threw me for a loop too like yeah. it, it honestly reminded me of the day i got the notification on my phone that kovalchuk had left the nhl had like retired i'm like right what? Like, what, what do you mean? Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly who they're interviewing. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of kind of likely names, but like, what else did you want Tom Fitzgerald to do? Right? right. Like he did a good job. He, he did some really nice work at the trade deadline. The haul he got for Blake Coleman, although that's a heartbreaking trade to have to make was, was really good. That was tough. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, he knows the team. Um, Binghamton has struggled over the past couple of years, but he was able to kind of push them in the right direction. And actually, by the time the season stopped, they were well on their way to the playoffs. And, and Tom Fitzgerald, as assistant general manager, was in charge of Binghamton. Right. So not only did he do a good job and do a 
good job at the NHL level after Shiro was fired, but he knows the system. Like he knows all of our prospects. Um, he's very kind of dialed into what's going on. I, I would say the only thing that would hold him back if, if he doesn't get the job, it might be because he would have a similar direction to Ray Shiro and mm-hmm. the owners wouldn't want that. And I don't know that to be the case, but I could see that. Considering, you know, if, considering how much they've allowed him to run the team, even yeah. with still the interim tag on, I think that Tom Fitzgerald has a few different ways that he wants to run the NA, run the franchise. And again, um, he's been inter- apparently he's been requested to be interviewed by at least two different teams since mm-hmm. he came to New Jersey as the GM. He was he was going to be interviewed for the Wild job. That's right. I think, and I think I think Philadelphia also wanted to interview him as well and Ray Shiro both times denied it like they didn't didn't allow them to interview him so and I'm hearing from a lot of people in the hockey world that they feel that it's it's time for Tom Fitzgerald to be given an opportunity because a lot of people see the potential that he has Mm -hmm. yeah I I think that's a great point Um, in in terms of head coach man it's it's anybody's guess (laughs) I feel like at this point there there are two Two of the biggest names um, that I'm sure everyone's talking about is Gerard Gallant, who was the former uh, Vegas Golden Knights coach, and before that, the Florida Panthers, and then Peter Laviolette, who you mentioned. Um, You know, there were all those rumors about Ricard Gronberg overseas, um, and it's not necessarily clear exactly what happened there, but... Um, We did get confirmation that the team um, denied him to be able to be interviewed uh, because he's still under contract. Yeah, so, he's got like an extra year. Yeah, I think he has two years left on his on his contract. So they said he's not – they're like they, – they pretty much don't want him to go. So yeah. They, I, and he was actually requested by, I think, four or five teams. Uh, oh, wow. And they all said no. So I'm like, yeah. okay, well, we're not getting him. Yeah. Uh, and now we're down to four candidates, and we really honestly and truly don't know who they are. Yeah, I think one of them is probably John Stevens, who's a name that's kind of been, that's been a, tossed around. That's a that's you know with John Stevens, I'm not like I don't think he's I don't think he's a bad coach. It's just right. that he's like John Hines; he's just unproven. Agreed. Yeah, totally yeah. agreed. And I don't want to go and, and as a Devils fan and as somebody who did not like John Hines from the moment that he got hired, I just don't want to see them go down this same road if he's going to be the same coach that John Hines was. It's just. Mm-hmm. You know, with Peter Laviolette, and even to a lesser extent, Gallant, you're getting a guy who's a proven, you know, winner that has taken, you know, especially with Laviolette, three different teams to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, no, I, I think they're both good choices. I, I think my preference would be for Jared Gallant, but, you know, I, I'm not smart enough to know exactly, the, you know, the benefits that each of them bring to the team. Huh. Um, I really enjoyed the work. Glant did with the Vegas Golden Knights, especially considering they're kind of a, a roster full of misfits. And I think I think that could really echo with the Devils next season because, you know, they're a team that was expected to compete this year and didn't. They had a lot of trouble. You know, the team sold at the deadline. And the team isn't the result of, like, years of consistent building and vision. Yeah. At this point, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a, a mismatch. And I feel like Glant given what he did in Vegas, could be a really good fit there. But I, I think I'd be happy with either of them. And I, I do think I agree that at this point, you know, it's probably best to hire, you know, a coach that's that's been there before. As much as I hate the fact that the hockey world recycles the same people for every job, yeah. you know, for the Devils in their situation, you probably want someone to come in, stabilize the veterans, inspire the rookies, and just put together 
a solid system. That's all we need. Yeah, you, you nailed it right on the head. I think that if Joshua Harris and the ownership is seriously about, you know, this team becoming a winning organization, I think you need to hire a coach like that because you want to build that winning mentality, that winning mindset. And someone like Peter Laviolette, who is not afraid to push guys over the limit and to get more out of them than maybe they thought that they had, is somebody good. You know, I've said it before that the two guys that I've always wanted to see be the doubles head coach were Laviolette and also John Tortorella. But obviously Tortorella is in Columbus and, mm. you know, unless we traded for him, which I, I don't really think we should do, um, you know, it's, you know, you know, it's, it's one of, you just want to have a guy like that because they're not, they want, they demand so much. And I think that the Devils haven't had a voice like that. I think they need a guy that's going to demand this team to be good. And let's, let's, I'm going to be honest. P, one of PK Subin's best couple of years was when Laviolette was the coach. So could it be possible that if Laviolette were to come to New Jersey, that he could revive PK Subban a bunch? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, and I've defended PK, and, and maybe it's un, you know understandable because he's on the Devils now, but like, even though he had a pretty bad season, to say the least, um, I still think that he's a very talented player, that if we use him correctly, he can be yes. a force on this team. He's not the world's greatest defender. We know that. He's much more of an offensive defenseman than a defensive defenseman. He is the guy that needs to be the quarterback of your power play. And I don't think the Devils used him that much when it came to that. And I think he has, you know, he has the ability to be a very, very good player. And the hype that he had coming here is the same hype that he, you know, needs to continue to have as he's still with this organization. And maybe getting someone like Peter Laviolette, who knows how to use somebody like PK, I think that would go a long way. So, I don't know when we're going to know who the GM or coach is. I, I heard that they're taking a pause. I don't know how long that pause is. I know for a fact the Devils are the only team that are even looking to hire someone right now. Um, but again, considering what's going on with COVID-19, there's a lot of question marks that still need to be answered. And I think maybe after the draft lottery next week, we'll know some more about where you know things are going to be. So we'll, we'll, we'll find that out. But my last question to you, Duncan, is simply this. Where do you see this Devils team being in the next couple of years? Future, you know, talking about the future of this organization. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my that's my favorite question to talk about. Um, mostly because you can say a bunch of stuff, and it might be true, and you can't be blamed when you're wrong because, like, right. who knows, right? Right. Um, I, I think I think this team is kind of at a, a bit of a crossroads. You know, I'll fully admit I, I wrote a ton of articles last summer about exactly what I wanted the Devils to do. Mm -hmm. And they basically did most of them. And I even named P.K. Subban specifically as like, you know, here are a bunch of defensemen that would be good additions. But if he really wanted to take a swing, P.K. Subban's the guy. Um, so Shiro did a lot of things that I thought would be really helpful, you know, especially considering that P.K. Subban's trade value would have been down and it turned out it was. Um, because, because things didn't work out and because the consequences of that were, you know, trading away Taylor Hall, trading away Blake Coleman, Sammy Vatman, Andy Green, like all very good and useful players. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th I think this could go one or one of two ways. Like, I, I think, I think there's a scenario in which we get all three first round draft picks, for example, and we only use one of them and we trade away the other two to add pieces, you know, players that are 
established NHLers that mm -hmm. have the pot potential to grow if you give them more ice time. Like, like you mentioned with Kyle Palmieri, you know, that's someone they targeted because they saw something yeah. and they saw that he was buried on the depth chart. And they said, if this guy was on our team and got top six minutes, he could score 30 goals. And he did. Yep. He, we could definitely do that. And we have a bit of draft capital to, capital to use in order to, to make those trades. Um, but, you know, depending on where ownership is, and I wonder if, you know, with COVID-19 and uh, the economy as it is, there might be even more um, incentive to do this. Yeah. We could leave it, you know, use all three draft picks to select good young players, have another developmental year next season where the team isn't that great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's better to be not great while you're playing the kids and the young players and, and letting them grow. Um, you have another good draft next season, and then you, you take the next step then. So I, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. And I think there's going to be a lot of clarity needed in terms of not only, you know, how many draft picks the Devils actually have, mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, where the economy is and, and what the direction is from ownership. And to be honest, who's running the team? There's just a lot of question marks there. I kind of suspect, uh, if I had to guess, that they'd go the second route where they're going to focus on, you know, building up uh, a much bigger cupboard of promising young players, mm -hmm. um, not do anything too drastic this summer because they saw what happened last summer and it didn't quite work out. Mm -hmm. um, and just let the players they have grow because, you know, Kyle Palmieri and Nikita Gusev were both on point or on pace to score more than 50 points this season, Absolutely. which doesn't sound like a lot of points, but I think the previous five seasons, they had only ever had 50 point seasons seven times yeah. from all of their players, right? Like 50 points has been a struggle for this team. Yeah. So if you keep them around, you know, Nico gets older, Jack Hughes gets stronger. Yeah. You have guys like Boakvist and Ty Smith and Mackenzie Blackwood. Yeah. You might not need to add that much in order to take the next step. So, you know, I, I think they're probably going to play it a bit more conservatively uh, if I had to guess. But, you know, your, your guess is as good as mine at this point. No, and I think what you said is a very fair point because I think one of the things that Devils fans have not been able to get from ownership, management, just the team in general, is a definitive direction of where we're going. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think that was a question mark even during the Ray Shiro years where we never really said in public that we were in a rebuild. I don't think we ever said that. I think we just went into it and just did what we thought was good. I always kind of applauded the Rangers a couple of years ago. I think it was like two years ago when they sent the letter out to all oh, the letter. Fans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they yeah. Sent a letter to all the fans saying, look, we're rebuilding. We're not going to be that good. Just bear with us. I think that was great. Oh, was yeah. Great. Now their expectations are where they should be. I think even if the devils don't announce anything like that, it's going to be hard. Like even if the devils were to, you know, Tom Fitzgerald's GM, Peter Laviolette's head coach, and you don't tell us where exactly his team is going to be, what exact everybody's expectations are going to be different going into next season and going into the next couple of years. Because we'll be like, okay, we have this talent, but are we really, really like a good team? Do we have a bunch of good players, but not a good team? You know, or like, what, you know, where do we need to be? And you mentioned some guys that obviously are going to be part of the core. Mm -hmm. I hope that the Devils can sign Nikita Gusev long-term because what he proved this year throughout all of the turmoil, because he went from, you know, he's the best player coming out of the KHL when he got traded here, which got mm -hmm. everybody excited. 
and that including myself and he's arguably my favorite player on this team and then you and then he struggled early on he got benched which pissed off everybody including myself he got benched for like two or three games and then once John Hines was fired Elaine Nazardine pretty much just let him play the way he was capable of playing and you could see as the year progressed maybe he's not the greatest goal scorer but he could set up everybody else to score. He did it so many times to the point where they call him the magic man. His nickname is the magic man Mm -hmm. because they said they have never seen a guy this talented in this organization before. And like you mentioned, he probably would have finished with at least 50 points by the end of the season, which considering what he had to go through playing in his first year in the NHL is phenomenal. And going into next season, he's going to have a lot more experience. He's going to be ready to go. And I think he's going to be poised to have a breakout year, which is great. And I hope that the Devils recognize that and give him, you know, a, a longer deal because he'll be a he, he's going to be on the last year of his two year deal with the Devils going into next season. So we have to we have to see about that. But you know, look, the Devils have Mackenzie Blackwood, you know, Jack Hughes, Nico Hishier, Kyle Palmieri, you know, Jesper Bratt. We have a bunch of guy, and then we have some young guys like you know Nolan Foot, you know, Ty Smith. You mm-hmm. know, we have guys that are going to be coming up. I think it's about building the depth and making this team good from top to bottom. I mean, making it solid from top to bottom. We have a solid offense with a good, strong defense and good goaltending. And, I, and that's, not, that's not too lofty of a goal. I think that's a realistic thing to look at. And maybe with the next two years, considering how deep the drafts are going to be, that the Devils could go down that route. But, you know, like, like you said, you know, both of our guesses could be totally wrong. We don't know. Oh, yeah. Who knows, but, right? But I think that there's still, you know, a good amount of optimism, despite the uncertainty with ownership, management, all that thing. I think there's still some optimism that will help us Devils fans look forward to the next two, three seasons as this team gets back to being a contending Stanley Cup franchise that it once was. So, Mm -hmm. you know, fingers crossed. But with that being said, that is going to do it for us today. And Duncan, before I let you go, and I do this with all my guests. Please let the folks here listening to us today where we can find more information about you and the things that you do. Yeah, thanks, man. And thanks again for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, if you're interested, you can follow me on Twitter at DuncanMRF. Uh, you can also follow uh, the Devils in the Details podcast. That's at NJ Devils Details. We also have a website. Uh, it's called devilsinthedetails.net. And that's where I post my articles and the future five. And if you're interested in learning more about Devils prospects and, you know, kind of the future direction of the franchise, I definitely suggest checking that out. Yeah. Uh, And one last thing, we're actually hosting a a draft lottery live stream on Friday because the the draft lottery is going to be, you know, if this releases on Monday, right? Yes. Uh, It's going to be this upcoming Monday. So that'll be the 22nd. Yeah, so in just a couple of days, uh, we'll be hosting a live stream on our YouTube channel. So if you're curious about that and you want to watch a bunch of people kind of make jokes about the Devils <laughs> before seeing uh, the draft lottery lands, um, yeah, definitely come check us out. But yeah, thanks again for having me. Of course, Duncan. And uh, again, we'll, we'll definitely have you on again, no doubt. And it is, look, for me personally, now that I, I feel like I know a lot more about, you know, the guys within the system with the Devils, and, th- and there is a lot of optimism. And so I, I'm very mm-hmm. happy that you could share that with us. And thank you all for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast. As always, we post a new episode every Monday on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can check out our website, hockeypodcastnetwork.com, 
Or if you want to look for the podcast, go on Spotify, SoundCloud, you can go on Google Podcasts, wherever, look up Hockey Podcast Network, and then you will eventually find the Devil's State of Mind podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Devil's State, on Instagram at Devil's State of Mind, and also our Facebook page, Devil's State of Mind, where you can keep up to date with new episodes every Monday. Also, make sure to check out my personal sports uh, podcast and pretty much my, spot, my sports network, Mofobo Network. We have a podcast and a YouTube channel that you can go check out. The podcast is on Spotify and Anchor.fm. And obviously, you can check out, like I mentioned, the YouTube channel. And we also have a Facebook page as well. And last but certainly not least, go check out my book on Amazon, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, <laughs> football fan, and uh, it's a, as Duncan is the one million person who just loves that title, and that makes me yeah. really happy. Um, but if you want to just support it, go check it out on Amazon. It's for the price of 1969, and if you're a Jets fan, you probably figured out why I chose that specific price. It's for, available for hardcover and ebook. So for Duncan Field, I'm Neil Villapiano. This has been another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Everyone, be safe. Thank you to all the essential workers out there, and rock on! Woo!